You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. In those first few weeks, Terry and I were able to watch every It Gets Better video as it came in. Um, we had to. We were the only people involved in the project at the time and we had to watch and approve every video that was submitted because, um, you know, early on it was just me and Terry and we saw every single one. But now there are 50, 75, 100,000 It Gets Better videos and we haven't been able to watch every one. So it wasn't until last week um, when I got an email that I uh, clicked through and watched Timothy McCormick's It Gets Better video, which he titled It Gets Better 2.0. It was short. It's less than two minutes long and it was Really very sweet. Uh, an Eagle Scout college student, an EMT living in Indianapolis, Tim was reaching out to LGBT kids and telling them, you know, telling them that it gets better and to hang in there and offering his insight and support. A few of Tim's friends wrote me on Saturday night and uh, pointed me at his video because Tim had died that day and they wanted me to see it and they wanted me to give him a shout out on the podcast, which I'm happy to do. Uh, Tim was uh, an EMT, an emergency medical technician, and he was driving an ambulance in downtown Indiana that was slammed into by another car, by another driver. The ambulance flipped on its side, Tim's ambulance, slid down the street, smashed into a parked car, and both Tim and the other EMT in the ambulance died. Tim died at the scene and his colleague died the next day in the hospital. Both of them were wearing their seatbelts. Do you know how heavy an ambulance is? Do you know how hard you have to hit an ambulance to flip it on its side and send it down the street and kill two people inside it who were wearing their seatbelts? I don't want to dwell on the driver of the other car. Police officer smelled alcohol on her and she claims she only had two drinks and they were weak and she only finished one of those drinks and only drank half of the other one. But they've taken blood. No charges have been filed yet. We'll see where that goes. Anyway, uh, I wanted to give Tim the shout out that his friends asked me to and here I am giving it. I also can't help talking about Tim's death in Indianapolis. Think about what was going on in Sullivan, Indiana, which is about 75 miles outside of Indianapolis. Um, haven't talked about it on the podcast but I've been blogging about it a lot. Sullivan, Indiana's high school, Sullivan High School, was doing the right thing. There are gay kids at that school who are going to prom, who are bringing their same-sex dates and they're going to participate in something called the March and this suddenly became a controversy because the school heard from some bigoted anti-LGBT parents who didn't want gay kids participating in prom or being a part of the march um, and the school told them in – schoolies politely to go fuck themselves. So they began to organize an alternate prom and this story broke and there was a new story that was a little bit muddled where it wasn't clear whether the school was discriminating or there was an alternate prom being planned but it was an alternate prom and they were going to have a private prom that would exclude queer kids. Um, anyone who remembers Constance McMillan remembers that her school was forced to allow her and her female date to attend prom. So there was an alternate prom organized that the entire school went to and there was no one at the alternate prom except a handful of students with Constance. Um, so alternate proms have been organized in the past with the connivance of schools. Uh, but this isn't the case. It's not what's happening in Sullivan. There's a small group of anti-gay bigots who are organizing a private prom. 
And there was an interview. I'm going to cut to the chase. There was an interview and a teacher was interviewed, Diana Medley. And she's not a teacher at Sullivan High School. She's a teacher at a neighboring school. And she was – she indicated that she had gay students. She was a special ed teacher and she was asked point blank by the reporter after she'd already said that she didn't believe anybody was actually gay and that gay people chose to be gay and that we don't have to be gay. She was asked if she believed that gay people, including her gay students by implication, had a purpose in life and she said her answer and I quote and verbatim, do gay people have a purpose in life? Do you believe that gay people have a person in life? Diana Medley, no, I don't. I couldn't help but think of Diana Medley when I was reading about Timothy McCormick's death. Here was a guy, an EMT, driving an ambulance. I think he had a purpose in life. He was serving the people of Indianapolis when he died. His purpose was saving lives. And he was gay. And here we have Diana Medley special ed teacher in a public school who says she has LGBT students that she interacts with, saying that gay people have no purpose in life. It makes your blood boil. I was, my blood was already boiling about Diana Medley when I sat and watched Timothy McCormick's It Gets Better video because the Diana Medley story was roaring along before Timothy McCormick was in that accident, before his friend sent me an email, before I found my way to his It Gets Better video. And what did I see at his video? What did I see watching Timothy McCormick's It Gets Better video? I saw a better Christian than anybody I saw in the news reports from Sullivan, Indiana. Anybody at that meeting where they were organizing an anti-gay prom. Listen to what he had to say about people who bully, pick on, or marginalize queer kids. Listen to what he has to say. If anyone doubts you, prove them wrong. If anyone ridicules you, make them look bad, not you. Actually, no. Don't make them look bad. You're above that. You're worth more than stooping down to their level. You are better than hatred. The anti-gay haters in Sullivan, and not all the people of Sullivan are anti-gay. I think most of the people in Sullivan have roundly rejected this small group of people and their effort to create an event that excludes gay kids. But the anti-gay haters in Sullivan have a Facebook page called 2013 Sullivan Traditional Prom. And one of the organizers – you can find that on Facebook. One of the organizers of this hate group wants us all to know that, quote, this is not a hate group, close quote. The 2013 Sullivan Traditional Prom is just a group that has been organized you know, with the sole purpose of creating an alternate prom that excludes gay, lesbian, bisexual and transgender students and to achieve that end. This group and its members are going on television and calling LGBT kids offensive, sick, sinful. And Diana Medley, Christian, is going on television and saying that gay, lesbian, bi and trans kids have no purpose in life. How is that not hatred? You know, you get angry and then – you blow up as I have done uh, last week or two on slog about this. Then you watch Timothy's video and you see him say, rise above it. You see him say to LGBT kids in Indiana who are being bullied, who are being picked on, don't stoop to their level. Which reminds me just a bit of turn the other cheek, which reminds me just a bit of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
If all you saw, let's say you didn't know anything about what's going on in Sullivan, you didn't know anything about Timothy McCormick's death, if all you saw were two clips and you saw this woman telling LGBT kids that they serve no purpose in life, they have no reason to be on this earth, and you saw Timothy McCormick telling LGBT kids that they're better than hatred, to rise above it, not to stoop to their level, who would you think was the better Christian? I think the answer is pretty obvious. There's a Facebook page for people who support an inclusive prom at Sullivan High School. The haters Facebook page, the Facebook page for people who want to create a a prom that excludes LGBT kids has 54 supporters. The support the Sullivan High School prom for all students page on Facebook now has nearly 30,000 supporters. There are more good people out there than bad people. There are more Timothy McCormicks out there in the world than Diana Medleys out there in the world. And it's important, like Timothy told us, that we not stoop to their level. Tim died serving the people of Indiana. What a rebuke to people who look at queer people and see nothing but sex, nothing but sin. What a rebuke Timothy's death is. These people, people like Dana Medley who cannot see the humanity, who cannot see the life and the love in the lives of queer people, cannot see our purpose. The best monument to Tim's life would be Dana Medley coming around, seeing the error of her ways and asking for forgiveness from her students who are LGBT, those same students whose lives she described as worthless. You know, let's let's leave Diana Medley behind. We are better than hatred. And you know what? She is too. And I hope that one day she sees that. Timothy said in his video to pass his message forward and not to stoop to their level and to be better than hatred. So at the end of today's podcast, we're going to play the the, the entire audio of uh, Tim's It Gets Better video. It's only a minute and a half. But I want everyone to hear it and I want today's show to end with it. Your calls after this. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to AdamandEve.com and enter Savage at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to AudiblePodcast.com slash Savage. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 20-year-old male that's straight, and I've been in a relationship with my girlfriend since I was a senior in high school, since I was 18. But we've been in a long-term relationship for two years now, and I lost my virginity to her. But I'm starting to wonder about different girls. Like, like how does, you know, like, should I start wondering about exploring my sexuality or should I just stay faithful to one girl and it only came because our sex is kind of boring like she gives me head and it's painful but I don't want to tell her that she's scraping her teeth against my dick and that she only lays there and I have to put in all the work and um, I'm just wondering if I should stay with her and like because I really love her or should I just be like hey our sex life isn't as awesome, and I just, we're getting to a really like 
true relationship, and I'm just scared that, or not scared, but I'm just wondering if I should stay with her just because I love her and just think about the crappy sex, or if I should just explore my own body. I bet she's bored too. She's dragging her teeth across the top of your dick and doesn't care. And when you guys have sex, she just kind of lays there and lets you do all the work until you're done. I bet she's not having much fucking fun either. Somebody who's into it, who's having fun, who enjoys sex, who's in touch with her body, who's into her boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever friend, usually moves around a little bit and and has visibly is enjoying herself, is having fun herself. So I would encourage you to err on the side of a little radical honesty and you could say to her, are you as bored as I am? And I bet she'd say yes. If she didn't say yes, she might be shattered. She might not know that this isn't how sex is supposed to be. There was actually a great study that came out of the United Kingdom a few years ago that found that a lot of young people who are sexually active who had had sex education didn't know that sex was supposed to feel good because that wasn't covered in their sex ed classes. They were having sex that they didn't enjoy, that wasn't fulfilling, and they thought that was normal or natural, that sex was just something you did to demonstrate your love, but it wasn't something that you derived physical pleasure or delight from. Maybe that's your girlfriend's problem. This relationship, if things don't improve, will end, right? You're going to sabotage it. You're going to get the fuck out. The sex is lousy. The blowjobs hurt, okay? You're going to destroy this relationship. You might as well, if you love her like you say that you do, you might as well risk pushing all your chips in the middle of the fucking table, risk hurting her feelings, risk saving this relationship by saying it doesn't feel like we're really connecting physically. It doesn't feel like the sex is what it could be. Uh, for me, it isn't and I don't think it is for you because you lay there like someone who's really not in touch with her sexuality, her body, her erotics or isn't into me or whatever. But we have got to fix this, radically remake ourselves sexually, radically recreate our sex lives, really get in touch with each other in a way that we're not now. Or we should recognize that perhaps we're not sexually compatible. Maybe we don't do it for each other. Maybe I don't do it for you. Take some responsibility there. If she's just lying there, she's probably not having much fun either. Maybe I don't do it for you and we should shake hands, recognize that most people in adulthood are not with their senior year of high school, boyfriend or girlfriend, and say, this was good. We learned a lot. And one of the things we learned was we're not right for each other. But why not take the risk of telling the truth and recognizing your own shortcomings here? You're doing all the work and she's not having any fun either, is she? So tell the truth. Hey, Dan. I'm uh, 32 years old, just recently engaged to an amazing uh, young lady, uh, everything is, uh, the relationship is great, um, but the sex is an issue. Um, not quite as frequent as I want, but it's, uh, it's perfectly okay. Uh, my problem is, is that I lack a certain amount of confidence in bed, and um, I kind of want, I feel like if I had some a positive affirmation and reassurance and some hey, that was great, and boy, I really enjoyed that kind of uh, comments from her, uh, I would be better in bed. I need a little boost in confidence. Uh, I don't want to fish for it. I kind of just want her to give it to me, and I'll ask, like, how was that? Was that okay? I really enjoyed it. I try to sort of lead the conversation, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll get a few 
that was great. I loved it. I love having sex with you, but never is it not solicited. So I was wondering, how do I get my girlfriend to give me some positive affirmation without asking for it, without fishing for it? Uh, because I really feel like it will benefit the both of us in the end. I wonder what it's going to do to your sexual confidence to know that as we listen to your call, everyone in the studio is kind of laughing at you, with you, and at you. Because your insecurity is kind of ridiculous and pathetic and a, a little laughable. Not, you know, everybody worries about whether they're any good or not. If she keeps coming back and keeps having sex with you and when you inquire, she says that it was great and she loves having sex with you, take fucking yes for an answer. But it doesn't flow out of her without a little prompting is understandable. A lot of women are socialized not to be very sexually sort of aggressive or uh, – and have a hard time articulating their needs or desires because you know a girl who likes sex is a bad girl. So you may be with someone – the odds that if you have a female partner that you are with someone who doesn't feel after sex, particularly after sex, that she can speak to it or own it or take responsibility for it in a way that's really sex positive is high because a lot of women don't feel like they can say, I like sex. It can take some women – decades to get to, – to reprogram themselves, to get away from that cultural script that says it's fine to be sexual. It's not fine to like it, right? Which is why there are a lot of women like the first caller. There are a lot of women out there having sex with partners, partners they enjoy. But they're having sex with those guys that they do not enjoy. They don't know how to speak up. They don't know how to advocate for themselves at their own pleasure. There's also a lot of women who like the sex that they're having but have a hard time speaking to it, have a hard time talking about sex or talking about their own pleasure. You may be with one. But if she tells you that she loves having sex with you when you ask and she keeps coming back, take fucking yes fucking for an answer already, fucker, OK? And that it probably would help your confidence if she mentioned it every once in a while without you asking and you could throw that out there. You know, every once in a while it would be nice to hear that without having to ask and then maybe she'll remember, maybe she won't. And you just need to buck the fuck up, little soldier. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. My name is Susie and I am a 56-year-old postmenopausal woman who is very deeply in love with my wonderful husband who tries everything he can to please me and um, including um, sex toys and whatever. And the only thing that really works is my vibrator. And I love my vibrator. And I seem to have maybe two intense orgasms a month. He feels bad because I'm not more into sex as he is because I just don't have the drive. And... I'm more than happy to give him blowjobs. I'm more than happy to stimulate his prostate with my finger or with all kinds of different sex toys. No problem with that at all. Um, but it does get frustrating because he wishes that I could 
get have more pleasure. I wish I could have more pleasure. I remember watching Oprah years ago and there were these older women talking about how crazy their sex life was and how wonderful everything was. And um, I kept thinking, gosh, I, what's wrong with me that I just don't seem to have a strong sex drive? We have a couple of kids and so it's kind of hard. They're teenagers and when they're gone, we try to have romantic time. But um, a lot of times... We're all so tired that we're just sort of not into it. But I guess my question to you is, is there anything anything that could, could help me get my mojo back? Sometimes I get frustrated when I do have an orgasm and I just kind of want to enjoy it. I don't really want to reciprocate with him. I love to please him. But sometimes I just want to, when I do have an orgasm, I just kind of want to enjoy it. Thanks, Dan. Joining me by phone from her home in Sebastopol, California, is Joan Price. She's an advocate for ageless sexuality and the author of Naked at Our Age, Talking Out Loud About Senior Sex and Better Than I Ever Expected, Straight Talk About Sex After 60. And she is the editor of the new anthology, Ageless Erotica, which is coming out very shortly or is already out. Is it out, Joan? It just came out. Okay, so this this call, this woman isn't yet 60. She is 56, has two kids, uh, mm-hmm. is postmenopausal, but I think she may be facing some issues that you have handled. Absolutely, she is. And as I see it, there are really three issues going on, and all three of them have solutions, which is the cool part. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll just, I'll just briefly say what the three are, and then maybe we can address them all. The first one is that she's not feeling much sex drive. She wants her mojo back. Number two, she feels that her husband's pressuring her to have more orgasms. And three, when she does have an orgasm, she wants to enjoy it, just sort of float into the afterglow instead of pleasuring him, though she's perfectly willing to do that at other, other times. Is that what you perceived as the three parts of this problem? Yeah, and, and yeah. the first one being a cratering libido postmenopause. What do you do mm-hmm. about that? Well, what you do about that, there's, there's one trick in it, actually. You see, we used to think, we women used to think, that we needed to feel the desire first and then the arousal would follow. But actually, now that our hormones are depleted and we're not getting that biological urge to reproduce because we're no longer reproducing, it can happen the other way around. The physiological arousal can happen first and then the desire kicks in. So instead of getting horny and having sex, you start having sex and get horny. Exactly. But for some people, it's hard to start having sex if they're not horny. I know. So the thing is, she already knows that the vibrator works for her. So maybe she can warm herself up a little more often with the vibrator. Okay. If she can have sex once a week even, it's going to make a real difference in how, she, how easily she gets aroused next time. If she's having it every other week, which is what she's saying now, she's, well, she's having sex more often, but she's having orgasms every other week, uh, if she could just up that to once a week and not wait for the drive to urge her, but just get herself physiologically aroused because she said that all works, then the drive and the desire for sex will follow and she'll be more likely to be more easily aroused the next time. It sort of builds on it in itself that way. Okay. Moving on, problem two. Moving on, problem two is that she is feeling pressured by her husband. Well, Pressure leads to anxiety, which leads to the flight-or-fight mechanism, as you know. The blood drains away from the genitals, 
and men know this already. They know that anxiety and, and expectations deflate their erections. The same thing happens to women. The blood flow leaves the clitoris and arousal goes poof. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's a good reason for that. It's in, ingrained to keep our species alive. Uh, imagine if our ancestors had said, I know there's a lion nearby, but I'm really horny right now and I want to come first. I'll deal with a lion later. Um, we probably wouldn't be here. So we knew to run first and come later. <laughs> so what he may be doing unintentionally is creating the lion in the bedroom by putting, in essence, performance anxiety on her. So he need, she needs to tell him that um, she'd rather not have it go that way. She can communicate to him, um, I, I'm just fine pleasuring you right now. And when I want to be pleasured, and here we go into the other situation, she needs to communicate, when I reach my elusive orgasm, I just want to bask in it and not switch from my pleasure to yours right away. I always talk about GGG and and the second G is giving. And I always say that sometimes you give pleasure without an expectation of immediate return. And I think it's okay to allow someone to have an orgasm and then not sit there demanding yours too that minute. Uh, exactly. Let that person roll out of it. Let that person enjoy. Let that person relax. But some of, one thing she did say, though, was that he needs her to come for him to get up. And you, he needs to not do that. People need to that's not. Right. And that seems to be a straight guy thing more than anything else. Gay guys are often sometimes way too happy to like get off without <laughs> person's pleasure. But there's a lot of straight men whose whole sense of sort of, you know, their virility is tied up in the, you know, getting her off. And I guess that's better than all those straight guys who could give a shit about whether the women they're going to get go. off or not. But you can overcorrect, guys. You can put pressure on a woman who's enjoying the sex, who really likes it, who's enjoying giving you pleasure. And if you turn this all into, oh, you're failing me because you're not getting off right now too and I'm disappointed, that's a real huge incentive to not fuck you again in the future. If every that time is a total turn off. She gives you pleasure. It comes with a like gift-wrapped guilt trip at the end of it because she yeah. didn't have a – crashy orgasm that time guys that's self-harm that's self-destructive and and i admire that he wants to give her orgasms yes that's wonderful we like that very much in our men but let her also say i don't need one right now but i w- i'm really enjoying pleasuring you absolutely what's problem three it's, let's solve all three of these problems that was all three. Oh, was we it did all three we did oh my god pot's legal now in washington state just saying sometimes i lose track of where we are in a call <laughs> Joan Price, you can read about her at joanprice.com, and she's got a blog at nakedatourage.com. Thanks so much for joining us today, Joan. Thank you, Dan. Hi, I'm a 23-year-old female. I live in Utah, and um, I was Mormon for about 21 years. The last two years, I kind of broke away and did my own thing. Uh, My family took it really hard when I came out. I just mean as more as not Mormon. My mom cried. My dad compared me to a racist. My sister asked me to fake be Mormon around her son so she wouldn't have to have a conversation about diversity with them. And it felt a lot like coming out gay or how I hear coming out gay sounds. Anyway, um, I just broke up with my boyfriend who was non-Mormon. We dated for about a year. He moved to California and we broke up, um, which is fine. Only now that I don't really have anything keeping me in Utah, I want to leave. And (laughs) I don't really have a lot of support from my family and friends. All of them are telling me that I'm running away from my problems. And 
that it's not a good thing to do. So my question for you basically is, is it okay for me to move? And not that I'm running from my problems. All I want to be is around seeing normal people who understand kind of what I'm going through because everyone here is kind of, it feels like a cult almost. All of them are telling me I'm crazy. Here's what you say to your friends and family. I'm not running away from my problems. I'm running away from you assholes. You're all fucking driving me crazy and making me miserable. So I'm going to put a little distance between us, like several states worth. And the end. And you don't have to justify it. You don't have to ask your friends and family for their permission to move. You're how old are you? 23 years old? People who are 23 move across the world onto different continents. They have adventures. Get the fuck out of Utah. Get, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with Utah except, of course, for everything that's wrong with Utah. The problem with Utah is the people who are around you in Utah. You need a change of locale. And you know what your friends and family are doing right now? They're trying to drag you back in to Mormonism, which you have left. And so they're, you know, psyching you out and working your nerves and guilt tripping you and trying to convince you that you're the crazy one. And this shit will continue so long as they think it has a chance of working. The minute, just like when you come out to your family and they have their tantrum and they try to make you not be gay, the minute it gets in their heads that the tantrum isn't working, that you're going to be gay, it stops. The minute they get it into their heads that all this effort, this energy that they're expending on guilting you and trying to convince you you're crazy and trying to manipulate you into staying in Utah so they keep working on you to get you back into the temple or whatever the fuck. The minute they realize that none of that is going to get them anywhere, it'll stop. They'll come to that realization faster if you pack your shit and go. Move. Move. Move to Washington State. We have some crazy-ass Mormons here too, but we have fewer of them and you're not related to any of them. Move to another continent for a while. Go to Europe. You're 23 fucking years old. Save up some money. Buy a one-way ticket to a country you've never visited. Have a job or something lined up or some friends or tap into the expat community and just fucking go. And you don't need their permission to leave. You have mine and my permission is much more important than theirs. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is Naked at Our Age, Talking Out Loud About Senior Sex by Joan Price, this week's guest. That book, that recording has been nominated for an Audi which are the Audible Awards, which I only just found out about. But Joan's book is nominated. You should give it a listen. For that free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hello, Daniel. Uh, greetings from Chicago. I am a southern guy new to town uh, because I wanted to be a bald-out queer in a queer city for the first time in my life before I got too old. Anyway, so I'm new to this very specific thing that gay guys do up here. And it's they negotiate everything that's going to happen in a sex act before we even meet. And it's so bizarre because um, like tops won't even consider meeting another top, um, even though they might have an emotional connection uh, if they actually meet. And it's so weird and bizarre because down south, we were just lucky enough to find another gay dude that liked dick, uh, that we would just kind of compromise uh, if we liked each other. But it's to the point now where I know what the inside of another guy's ass looks like before I even meet him. And it's not fun. Um, but I'm an open, 
uh, genuine guy willing to compromise. But that's kind of a liability up here in Chicago because since I am DFW, down for whatever, uh, it makes it very hard for me to connect with other people uh, when they are so very specific. Because I am DFW, but I, I, I just don't know what to do. So how do I become a little bit more specific or discover what I like and be able to express that, but also kind of leave myself open for any kind of various new things that I haven't tried. Uh, and there's a lot I haven't tried. These guys up here are advanced. Your problem is not really a problem, I don't think. There, there, there's two ways you meet people, right? You're queer, you're in Chicago. You get online where you can be as specific and fine-grained as you want to be. Really, online, you can look for e exactly your ideal match, that person whose interests align with yours perfectly, right? Which is what a lot of people do. That's the, the, the magic of internet dating and internet slutting around. Or you can go out, right? Well, I mean, I've, I've tried both of these things. And um, there's a lot of, um, like, fronting. Like, people are pretending to be what they're not. So when you meet them, you discover that they're not really who they say they are. Um, and this is kind of a new thing for me. I mean, I'm, I'm 40 years old, so, um, and I'm from Nashville. And we mm -hmm. did things a little bit differently. How, how, is, it di how is it different in Nashville? Um, probably because everybody was um, not as stressed out or um, that we knew everybody. Like everybody knew everybody. You could vouch for somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but up here, people kind of assume that you're, bad or that you're up to something if you're nice. So it's been hard for me. Well, you know, uh, in the North, <laughs> we are ruder and we, we look for that in other people. We kind of appreciate that, that coldness mm -hmm. uh, until you're sure, drunk sure. and naked. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, even, I mean, they want to have sex, but they don't want to be friends. And, uh -huh. um, I mean, I, yeah. That I makes that, me sad. Right? I'm, fr I'm from Chicago. That shit makes me sad and always has. But I think you should be, if not friends, then friendly with people whose penises are in your mouth. That's just me. Yeah. But when people are not being genuine, uh, it's really hard to get to, to where uh, the good people are. How long have you been in Chicago? I moved here a year ago. And uh, it's, been, it's been interesting because I'm nice and people tell me to quit being nice, but I'm not going to stop you. You're still finding your way in, though. You know, the, the thing about being gay in a small town or gay in a Nashville um, mm -hmm. or, or even a smaller place than Nashville or gay in the South is everybody's kind of in it together. It's very embattled. There's only, you know, a small number of people. Most of the gay people with any sense have left, not necessarily in Nashville, which is actually kind of a great place to be gay, but smaller towns yeah. than Nashville and smaller places in the South. The, the, the gay people who can get out have gotten out. And so there's this sense of camaraderie and, you know, this pressure that makes everybody ha realize that they have to get along and cooperate, right? Or oh, they'll be miserable. Exactly. And in a bigger city, that exists too, but it doesn't exist community-wide the same way it would in a Nashville or a smaller town, right? We're not all in this together. Yeah. And what you have to do in a bigger place is you will find that same feeling, that same sense of camaraderie and belonging and all in it together in a smaller community within the community. You will find those okay. guys eventually where you get that same sense of belonging and place and everybody's watching each other's backs, but it's going to be a tiny group that you've found within the larger scene. And it just sounds like right. in a year you haven't found your posse yet. You haven't found your group of guys yet. But you yeah. can and you will. You just have to keep at it. Well, thank you. But this isn't really about your problem. Your problem is 
you go online and everybody's really throwing out there such sexually specific shit that you know you're disqualified oh at some point as you as the person combs through all of their particular wants and desires and that's true of online dating online dating can be specific as you want to be you can be highly specific and that really – nobody's ever dragged outside their comfort zone then. What happens is you go out, you meet people and you may think of yourself as a top and you'll be rolling around kissing in a bar and you'll both realize you're both tops. And what do you do at that moment? And often you go for it anyway. And online you might not have agreed to see that guy because you're both tops. But at that right. moment in the bar, we realize we really do have this emotional connection. We really – we really ping. We really have a chemical thing going on. You'll make it work whether that means – Anal isn't on the, the the table, or one or the other of you is going to have to like take terms bottoming so that you can figure out how to make that go. And that is that is wonderful when someone for love, if a relationship blossoms where there was kind of a sexual disconnect, and then they work toward figuring out how they can make sex work for them and 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 grow sexually for each other. That's what meeting in face to face in person can bring you. That sense of really coming together, really forging a shared sex life. And I actually think that's more interesting and valuable than being able to disqualify the world as you find that needle in the haystack online. Well, I tell you, I miss the days when you could meet a guy and it really didn't, because, you know, gay people weren't everywhere when I came out. I came out when I was 15. I met guys through personal ads, coded personal ads in the, in the local newspaper. And uh, it would take months to meet somebody. But, you know, we didn't care if somebody was a top or a bottom because we were just lucky to have another gay person in the world. <laughs> and, uh, well, you have more to choose from in a Chicago. These guys are so advanced. You know, but there's a, but, but there's, so a, there's a downside to that too though. A lot of people when they feel that the, the pickings are slim settle for people who are bad for them, people who don't satisfy them sexually or emotionally or people who are abusive because if it took this long to meet me and find me, you can't dump me and – knowing that you're going to be single forever and that it's going to be hell trying to find somebody to replace me. You know, that same thing that you're sort of identifying as what was glorious about being gay when you came out it had real negative impacts for a lot of people. People were stuck in relationships with people they didn't like, who didn't meet their needs or who were abusive because they were afraid they would never find anyone else. In Chicago, you don't have that problem. You can find somebody else. Yeah. I mean, people ask, people update me for my hands because they think I'd be a good sister. And, um, <laughs> and are you? No, because I, I mean, I don't, I don't feel comfortable putting my fist inside of another gentleman. Well, then right don't now. date those I mean, people. I might change. I might be able to pee inside of people as I've been asked to do someday. But um, thank you so much for calling me, Dan. You're welcome. Enjoy Chicago. It's my hometown. There's a lot of really great guys in Chicago. You just haven't, you have to find them and surround yourself with them. That's what the gay community is for. The gay community isn't a place where all gay people like each other and all gay people are good. The gay community is an opportunity and uh, for everybody who's at, gay to be out and then you go into that – basically that candy store and you pull off the shelf the people that you want to have around you, the people who are good, the people you like, people you're attracted to, people you want to date, people you don't want to date but whose company you enjoy and you assemble your, your own community from that candy shop. Wow. You know, I'm pretty excited. So I'm going to start right now. <laughs> Talk to you later. Hey, Dan. Um, I'm hoping you can help me um, come to grips with some uh, events lately. My, um, I saw my son had not signed out of his Gmail account, and he had a request for age authorization on Adam for Adam. So I went home yesterday a little early while he was home, hoping to talk to him about safety on the Internet. 
And at that time, I see a car pull up into my house. And so I wait a little while, and I uh, go in, and there's a 31-year-old man in my home preparing to have sex with my 16-year-old son. We're planning on taking him counseling. He says that he's hooked up before with people on the Internet. I, I just, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know what to do. There are times that I am so glad uh, that the Internet didn't exist when I was 16 years old because, caller, I would be your son. I would have done things that stupid and risky if I'd had that tool at my disposal. I can give you sort of the looking back in time adult gay child's perspective, but I wanted to give you both that perspective and also the straight parent of a gay child perspective. Joining me by phone, John Schwartz is a reporter for The New York Times and the author of Oddly Normal, One Family's Struggle to Help Their Teenage Son Come to Terms with His Sexuality, a memoir about raising a gay son in the age of Tyler Clemente, the It Gets Better Project, Glee, and John, Adam for Adam. Yes, I listened to the caller's call and I had many thoughts, but most of them were, oh my God, oh shit, oh my God. Yeah, mine too. And... (laughs) And it's a tough position to be in. You know, I want to reach through the phone, if I could, and reach through a computer and get on Adam and Adam and kill that 31-year-old. But I am awful that way and also a little bit, you know, amnesia that way because when I was 18, I had a boyfriend who was almost 30 and he was good for me and helped me out a lot. Right. The only question – I'm sure that's true and the only question then is, is there a predator <laughs> at work here? I know many people – in relationships that are May, December, and, and we accept that, and that's fine. But but January, May, January, June, it, it, there's something that's inherently unsettling about it. Particularly around safety, and the son indicated that he's, he's hooked up many times this way, and there are shitty, shitty, awful gay people in the world who will take advantage of younger gay men or younger gay boys' naivete and inexperience just as there are shitty, shitty straight men in the world who will take advantage of young girls' naivete and inexperience. And I think this dad needs to intervene and, and, and come on strong, come in there strong and lay the hurt down because the odds that his son is having unsafe sex with these people are really high. If his son is having anonymous sexual encounters with people – who are significantly older than he is, who are themselves having anonymous sexual encounters with more partners than just his son, and I bet they are, the chance that he's in bed with someone who has HIV or some other sexually transmitted infection is really high. And dad needs to have a big crash course in sexual safety and internet safety with his kid. I think that's right. You know, I've had friends with the same experience with their daughter, so this is not a uniquely gay thing, as you're saying. But it's, but it's, awful. And what do we want for our kids? We want them to be happy and we want them to have healthy relationships, not just hookups. We want them to develop the ability to have these grown-up relationships that will sustain them later in life. And this isn't a good way to start. It isn't. That said, a lot of 16-year-old gay kids, one big difference between the gay experience and the straight experience in the teen years is that a lot of 16-year-old gay kids lack age-appropriate and socially appropriate partners. You know, if your son is 16 and out and in high school, the odds that there's other gay kids who are out in his same school are really slim. Most kids who are 16 and gay are not out yet. And so a lot of gay kids 
who have the same desire for love and affection for a boyfriend to be sexual, to lose their virginities at the same roughly age that their straight peers are being sexual and losing their virginities at, they have no option at school. They can't date somebody that they met through their job because they're, they're the people in their own peer group, age-appropriate romantic targets aren't out yet. Well, that's exactly right. And that's one of uh, my son Joe's biggest complaints. He says, when am I going to get to be a teenager? When do I start dating? And just telling him that it's going to be better in college because there'll be more out kids, it's, it's true, but that's no comfort to a 16- and 17-year-old who wants to get started. And with the Internet lurking in your house, your kid can get started before college, but he's going to be not getting started with other 16-year-olds or other 17- or 18-year-olds, other high school-age kids. He's going to be getting started with adult men. And so you're right. What's really necessary here is the talk. It's a different talk than this dad might have thought he was going to have with his son uh, if he thought that if the son turned out to be straight. But he's really got to start on a, on a sex education, safety education conversation with this, with this child at 16. I mean, I mean, I don't want to individualize a 16 year old. They're, they're, they're big. They're, they're, you know, but, but he's not ready for what we're talking about. I think. How do you navigate John personally that what can be tricky? I think sometimes for straight parents is uh, there's kind of this, you know, sort of mind game that out gay teenage kids will play on their straight parents. Whereas if you're at all critical of anything that they do that's in any way related to their sexuality, that you're being homophobic. It's a tough line. It's a tough line to walk. This is one of those cases where you have to trust yourself and build on the relationship you've been building forever with this kid. But you also can rely on if there are resources in your community. We're lucky. We live close to uh, the, the gay center, the LGBT center, uh, community center in New York City, which has youth programs. And so we were able to get Joseph in with people who made, through weekly discussion sessions and everything else, made sexual safety and health an important part of an ongoing discussion. And so it wasn't coming from us. There wasn't going to be this confrontation. Oh, Dad says it. Mm-hmm. It's people in... It's people in the community the kid is, is drawn to anyway, people that the kid is going to respect. And because, uh, you know, that's never going to be right. <laughs> and it's a, t- it's a difficult line when, you, when you're going to parent a, a queer kid and you have to say, I disapprove of this, not you. I disapprove of what you're doing, not who you are. And some gay kids can't hear that. They can't hear that distinction between – you know, risky behaviors that you're engaging in that you feel are an expression of your sexuality and your sexuality being disapproved of. But you got to risk it. You got to push that point, Dad. Yeah, you really have to. You have to. You have to make it clear and persist that uh, that this is really about the behavior. But you know, this kid feels isolated at school, perhaps, um, and is looking for the support. And so any criticism is going to sting extra. And, well, you know, he's going to hear it partly as I want your, your social and sexual isolation to continue. And he may not right. warm to that. So if you can give him some options, like you say, John, get him to an LGBT youth support group, help him find a social circle where he may be able to meet other partners. That said, he still needs the safety conversation, which means you're going to have to have a difficult conversation with your son, a conversation I don't think any dad – ever wants to have with their son, which is, so let's talk about you getting fucked in the ass, son. 
Yeah, exactly. And barrier methods. I really want to go into detail on that, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And that's awkward, but you have to have that conversation. You do have to treat your son in some ways like a daughter and have conversations where you're talking about what it means to be desired by and sleeping with and fucked by men and the ways men are and how to protect yourself. Well, and how to protect yourself emotionally, too. You know, it's, it's health, it's also emotional. What kind of relationship are you looking for? What do you expect out of life? What do you want to see happen to you? I always it's, say, I, I say, what are you trying to leverage into life with your dick? You know, you, you think of your dick as a lever, and what are you trying to leverage into your life with it? If you're just trying to leverage in a, a, a lot of anonymous sex, a million orgasms, you can do that. But if you're trying to leverage something more into your life, you might not want to do the million sex partners thing. Because it's going to hamper finding something serious or long-term or deeper. It really is in the long run. And dad, you got it. And he has to have a conversation about options. You know, I think it's very empowering. Too many gay kids, gay boys, they get into their head that they're not really gay men unless they're having anal sex. And somebody's got to tell them that most of the sex that most adult gay men have isn't penetrative anal sex. It's mutual masturbation. It's oral sex. It's rolling around. It's other things and also anal. But every encounter doesn't include anal and your son can be sexually expressive and have sexual relationships and have a boyfriend and get off without having to do the thing that's most risky for HIV transmission and other sexually transmitted infections. Right. But if you learn about sexual activity through porn, then then you think that's what it is. And who's going to talk to your kid about gay sexual activity besides porn if you don't? He's only right. going to get it from porn if you don't talk to him about it. And the porn is is always there, and it's always willing. And it's always anal, or headed yeah. toward anal. In water sports, but <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's it's very tough, Dan, because you want to walk the same landscape that you would walk with any child. You want to offer a little guidance. You want to be the parent, but but the landscape is as a gay as i mean as a straight parent the landscape's unfamiliar to you and and so you got to get over being squicked out and have the talk is joe dating yet he's had um uh he had a, a great summer camp relationship a couple of years ago but there's there's really nobody in school right now that uh in, for exactly the reasons you say mm-hmm. and boy if you're looking forward to college <laughs> Yeah, it must help just to have you there sympathizing with him and saying, yeah, this is tough. That you look yeah. around, you see all your straight peers, they're all hooking up, they're all dating, they have a million choices. Maybe at your school there's only one or two other gay kids who are out. The odds that you'll be attracted to either of them are really slim. And that sucks. Just even to hear that kind of expression of sympathy from a parent must be helping Joe get through this and Caller could help your kid get through it. To tell him that this kind of dry spell is normal and it will come to an end. Yeah. And, you know, my heart goes out to the parent. My heart goes out to the kid. Not an easy time. Yeah, mine too. But the dad's got to tell that kid he can't have strange 31-year-old men dropping by the house when no one's home but him. Right. Otherwise, that guy from To Catch a Predator is going to show up. (laughs) Yeah. Hookup culture isn't as dangerous as a lot of people like to portray it. There are millions of people hooking up constantly online. Lots and lots of gay people do this. You rarely hear about people coming to bad ends, although there's been a string of murders in New York in the last couple of months. So it's not as dangerous as people sometimes freak out uh, about it. It's not about your son's going to be murdered in his bed by some strange man. 
the danger is he's going to get his heart stomped on or he's going to get a sexually transmitted infection. Yeah, and it's also just more risks than I want my 16-year-old, my 17-year-old facing at this time. It's too early to make choices like that, I think. So how is it now, John, being the sort of go-to expert on gay parenting or the parenting of gay children in the United States? You mean aside from the part where I feel completely incompetent and I didn't say anything about this? Otherwise, it's terrific, Dan. The, the, the book is amazing, and I, I read it all in one go. Um, and, and your story and Joe's story is so touching. And what you and your wife did for your son and how you came through for him um, is amazing. And all the resources uh, and the research that you, you bring out in the book I think is so important. Anybody who's got a gay kid – or a queer kid needs to read this book. And since any kid could grow up to be queer, every parent needs to read this book, Oddly Normal. Um, it is absolutely terrific. Thank you so much for that. It means so much to me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. There was one thing uh, in the book that kind of, for me, vindicated uh, the It Gets Better project. Research bears this out. Uh, you write, gay and lesbian youth have a harder time projecting to the future because they have learned negative attitudes that they can see a future for themselves as other kids do. Even something as simple as being able to marry one day, their future is less likely to narrow. Um, I really feel that uh, the book is, is hugely important and was uh, desperately needed and needed at this time. Thank you. John Schwartz, reporter for The New York Times, author of Oddly Normal, a memoir about raising uh, a gay son. What's your Twitter handle, John? We always like to give those out. It's JSWATS, J-S-W-A-T-Z. Thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us. Hi, Dan. I am a 25-year-old straight female, and I have kind of a weird question. Um, when I was little, probably like four, five, six, I had what I would classify as a fetish. Um, I used to think about feeding people, usually my friends from school, um, until they threw up, like just would feed them until they barked. And I didn't realize at the time that it was sexual. I really didn't know what sex was at that age, but I realize now that it, it definitely was a sexual thing. And then when I was about, like, 10, it flipped completely, and I had a horrible phobia of vomit, like, to a point where I, my parents had to put me in therapy because I was afraid to go to school. I thought about it all the time. It was, like, on my mind, 24 hours a day, terrified. And now, as an adult, I don't have the fetish, nor do I have the phobia. I kind of grew out of it. I still don't like barf, but I don't really think that many people do. I can handle when people throw up. I just don't like it. I don't like to do it. But, I mean, as far as my sexuality goes, I'm pretty vanilla. So I'm wondering, is can this be explained? Is this a normal thing? Um, do people have fetishes that suddenly without cause become phobias often? And the biggest question I think I have is, is it normal for little kids to have fetishes? I think I haven't really heard of that. I think it's kind of weird. You were five years old. Why are you describing this as a fetish? It sounds like some sort of childish obsession that passed. You were obsessed with overfeeding your friends until they threw up and how much unsupervised time did you enjoy at age five where you were allowed to stuff food into other children until they puked, I'm wondering. But – you did that from five or six to about age 10 and then you flip. This isn't – there's nothing sexual I think about this history you have with food. So uh, the only thing that kind of interests me and kind of creeps me out about your call is your desire or your – not desire, your inclination. No, not inclination. Your – the fact that you have 
looked back on these life experiences and said, oh, this was sexual. This just sounds fucking nuts is what it sounds. It sounds a little like bizarro, OCD, batshit, kid logic, fucked up weirdness that you outgrew. So I, I don't think this is about a fetish that you know flips from obsession to revulsion. That doesn't typically happen. You know, you don't hear a lot of stories about people who are suddenly completely revolted uh, one moment and forever after by something that used to turn them on. But it, you don't describe this as a, at age five as having turned you on. I don't think this was sexual. This was just some sort of like weird food phobia fucked upness that. You worked through and your parents helped you work through at age 10 and it's over and done and you should stop thinking about it and stop calling me about it. And we're going to leave it there. Our thanks to John Schwartz and Joan Price. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. The podcast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And we're going to close this week's show by offering our condolences to the friends and family of Timothy McCormick, the EMT who died in Indianapolis this week, and to the friends and family of his colleague, Cody Medley, who was the other EMT in the ambulance who died in Indianapolis this week. Here now is Timothy McCormick's It Gets Better message. My name is Tim McCormick. I'm an Eagle Scout, college student, and professional EMT living in Indianapolis, Indiana. I am a gay American adult. I have a brief but short message for you today. Even though I have most likely not, and probably never will meet you, I want you to know that it gets better. Regardless of who you are, regardless of your personal, academic, spiritual, professional, or sexual identity, regardless of your age, regardless of your background, the things that are happening today are only typical of the hard times in which we live. What I'm telling you is to keep your head up, keep your spirits high, and keep working at whatever it is you're trying to accomplish with your life. Because it will be worth it when all is said and done. If you don't have anything, keep searching. If you've lost what you used to have, keep trying. Life isn't a dress rehearsal. This is the real deal, and it's your time to shine. Right now. If anyone doubts you, Prove them wrong. If anyone ridicules you, make them look bad, not you. Actually, no. Don't make them look bad. You're above that. You're worth more than stooping down to their level. You are better than hatred. And you are loved. Welcome. Welcome to It Gets Better 2.0. And please, pay it forward and pass this message along to someone who needs to hear it. And have a wonderful day. You're special and beautiful just the way you are, whoever you are. Thank you.